So essentially, the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shneur Zaman Abliadi, founder of Chabad, he wrote a book we're all familiar with, is called Tanya. But Tanya is really just part one of the Alter Rebbe's main work, his magnum opus, if you will. And it's divided into four portions. Likute Amarim Tanya, which is, when you say Tanya, that's usually what people are talking about, the Sefer Shal Benunim, the book of the intermediate people, neither completely righteous nor neither completely wicked, basically everybody in between. Then he has another book called the Letter of Teshuvah, of Return of Repentance. The next one is called Shara Yichud Ve'amuna, the Gate of Unification and, and Faith, which is a very philosophical about God constantly creating the world. So there's really it's really made up of three sections. And then there's a fourth section that's kind of like an appendix in which the uh, children of the Alter Rebbe, they added letters, unrelated letters, uh, that the Alter Rebbe had written to various people, either individually or communal letters, pastoral letters as they're known. And they felt that these letters really captured a lot of the Alter Rebbe's philosophy. And so they put that, they tagged it on as the fourth book of these four books of the Tanya. So this is from Tanya, but it's the fourth book of the Tanya called Igeret HaKodesh, the letters, the holy letters of the Alter Rebbe. So what we're going to do is we're going to learn Letter number 25, as you can see, there's a big, long introduction over here. And what the Alter Rebbe is going to do is analyze a saying from the Baal Shem Tov, Baal Shem Tov being the founder of the Hasidic movement. He was the teacher of the teacher of the Alter, of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe's teacher was Rabbi Dovber of Mezrich, known as the Magid, the preacher of Mezrich. And the Magid of Mezrich, his teacher was the Baal Shem Tov. The Alter Rebbe never met the Baal Shem Tov as a as a uh, adult, um, but he considered himself his spiritual grandson, grandchild, because he was the student of his student. He even said that a spiritual grandchild is greater than a physical, biological grandchild. In any case, in this uh, letter, he's going to analyze something that the mitnagdim, the opponents to Hasidic, to the Hasidic Hasidim and the Hasidism, they they, um, you know, they they uh, they grasped upon certain sayings of the Baal Shem Tov and said, "Oh, this is heretical. This is not in sync with Judaism. The Hasidim are outside the pale." And the Alter Rebbe deals with one of them, and at the end of the chapter, he's going to say, "You see that I've dealt with this one. You know, that'll give you a hint to these other complaints that they have is based based on misunderstandings or mistakes that they're making." So let's jump into it. You've got it up on the screen. Can you see it? Lahavin Imre Bina. Yeah. Thumbs up. All right. This is going to be exciting. Lahavin Imre Bina. To understand words of understanding, which refers to words of Torah. That which is written in a book called Tzavoas Rivosh. Tzavoa is a, like, last will and testament. A will is called a Tzavoa. So Tzavoat Rivosh is the 
last will and testament or testament of Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. So this is an acronym over here. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov Rivosh. So the first thing that the Rebbe says is right away we have to clarify that this is not actually his will. Even though that's the name of the book, it's not his will. His last will and testament. He did not ordain anything before his passing. Rather, he never gave it this name. So this is a collection. This book forms a collection of his pure sayings that was collected by others. They gathered, gathering after gathering, compilations after compilations. This phrase, by the way, comes from the uh, laws of agriculture in Israel. We have to leave for the poor, and then there's a poor people come, and then more people come. So there's the people who collect after everyone else. These people are so poor that even after the poor people have collected, they come again to come through the fields to find if there's anything left, any morsel left for them to take. After that point, it's hefkir. Anybody can take from it. Like There's nothing left. If you can find something then, it's yours, even if you're not poor. So anyhow, that's a borrowed phrase that these um, collectors collected sayings of the Baal Shem Tov. So these are not the words of the Baal Shem Tov, rather the collectors. And they did not know how to phrase his teachings precisely in a precise manner. As it says here in the comment that the Baal Shem Tov used to speak in Yiddish and the, the Tzavat HaRivash are recorded in Hebrew. And so lost in translation sometimes happens. But the import of what they're saying in the saying is absolute truth, even if they haven't got the phraseology 100%. Now the Altarebbe will begin to explain section 120 of Tzavat Rivash. By the way, they should have a link over here to buy the book. You can buy the book. It's in English. It was translated. I think it came out for 200-year anniversary of the of the Baal Shem Tov's um, passing or something like that, a couple of years ago, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. You have it? Matt, you have it? All right, Matt has it. Okay, now you know where to borrow it. Or you can buy it. Anyway, so So it will be understood by first considering the teaching of our sages, may their memories be blessed, which they they um, which they state. Call hakoes anybody who gets angry. It's as if he served idols. God forbid. Anybody who gets angry, he allows himself to get angry. It's as if he worships idols. Psh. It's a heavy, heavy statement. The reason for this. Any questions, by the way, so far? <clears throat> which, which section is this? Which section are we reading? Yes. This is the, uh, 
This is letter 25 of Igeret HaKodesh, of the Tanya. So it's volume 4. If you have lessons in Tanya, it's volume 4, I believe. Okay. Might be not number 5, but it's either 4 or 5. Tam, of the the reason for this. Because at the time when I get angry, my faith in God has left me. How do we know that? If I would believe that what just happened to me, my kids spilled yogurt all over my ca- my ja- jacket just before I have to get up and give a big sermon. If I would truly believe that this happened from God, this was God's will, I wouldn't be angry at all. By the way, this did happen to me, not exactly that my kid poured yogurt on me, but um, I was actually going to a, f- a funeral and I threw my jacket onto the seat. Sure enough, there was yogurt all over the seat. So I come to the funeral in an interesting colored jacket. So, I wouldn't be angry at all. And here the Alter Rebbe asks a question. One second. Don't we know that people have freedom of choice? So maybe if, well, take the kids out of, out of the equation because, you know, they're just kids. But let's say an adult took a yogurt and squirted it on my jacket just before I had to give a speech. Can I say that that's God's will? Well, but God gave this person free choice. So maybe as the free choice, and it's out of God's hands. So maybe I, I am allowed to get angry because this wasn't God's intention. It was this guy's free choice. So the Alter Rebbe addresses that. He says, Even though a human being has choice, who is a master of choice, and he is who is cursing me, who makalaloi, Makali is cursing me, or is hitting me, or is damaging it. I'm, tra- I'm saying his, but really, I'm saying me, but really the Alter Rebbe is using the third person, his. He's cursing him, or he's hitting him, or he's damaging his property. And in fact, according to Torah law, this guy, this dude, he's going to have to pay in court. By the by the human court is going to take him, you take him to court, he has to pay, you can sue him. Not only the human court is going to go after him for damages, but the heavenly court, then the heavens are also going to go after him. What for? For his evil choice. Right? As the comment says, he can't say to the court, hey, it was my, uh, wasn't my choice. To do this. This was God's will that this yogurt should be squirted on the rabbi. So I should be paid actually for doing God's will. He says, no, he did it because of his bad choice, his evil choice. He wasn't doing it for God. Says the Alter Rebbe, Afal nevertheless, Al Hanizok, on the person who was damaged, who got the Nezek, Kvar Nigzar Menashamayim, it had already been decreed from heaven that this is what's going to happen to him. So even though the human being was the perpetrator, the agent of God for this to happen to me. Nevertheless, this is something that was God's will. I, this person is going to be punished. Why is he being punished? Because he did it not for God's reasons. He did it for his own evil choice. 
And there are many emissaries for God. God has many agents. So he can't say, well, it was God's will. It had to happen. Well, it didn't happen, have to happen through you. If it wouldn't have happened through you, God would figure out another way. Okay? Any questions, comments? Question, uh, in this case, let's say God, uh, if God, uh, this is the dream of the heaven for him not to do that. So it means he has free choice. If he would decide not to do it, but the God decrees it will happen. So what, how, how that will work? Right, so that's what he's saying with that let's say I decide not to do it, God will, but if it's supposed to happen, yeah. God will find a different way for it to happen. Maybe a bird will come along and drop some yogurt on the rabbi. You know, okay. he will, God has, is a, has a major computer in heaven that he has all kinds of ways to handle these things. So not necessarily that particular agent will perform the, what God, God will. Exactly. Exactly. He, okay. it's, not, it's not God's will that he should do it. It's, it's God's will that this should happen to me. In any in any which way, and he happens, yes. he's the one who chose to be the one. To do it to be a God session. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Right. So therefore, there's no reason for anger. Why should I get angry? Even if somebody, an adult, chooses to harm me, I shouldn't get angry because if God did not wanted this to happen, it wouldn't have happened. Veloyoid. Furthermore, even at this very moment that the person, the perpetrator, is hitting him or cursing him, the power of God and the spirit of his mouth is giving life to this person who is, who is the offender. Right, we say uses the spirit of his mouth, the breath of his mouth, because as we know from Genesis, we just read two weeks ago, God creates the world, not just in the six days of creation, but as we know from Hasidus, God is constantly creating everything. And so he's also creating this person who is the offender and giving him the energy. Uh, the metaphor I, 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 uh, I like to think of here is, unfortunately, in Israel, when they're giving, they're giving electricity to their enemies, to the south particularly. And they could be at war with Israel. Actively at war. Israel still giving uh, electricity. So God is doing that. Alright. So we follow we follow God's, God's uh, model. That God is giving energy to us. When we do something that is against God. We're actually receiving our energy to do so. From God. Otherwise where else does that energy come from? There is no dark side in Judaism i.e. in reality. Even at the very moment that this person is striking or cursing another person, God is the one who is giving him life. God told him to curse. Who said this? This was said by King David. The story with King David is that there was a guy named Shimi, Shimi ben Gera, who cursed David. When did this happen? This happened when... David was running away when Avshalom, his son, was rebelling against him. And David was uh, on the run. And who comes along? Shimi ben Gera. 
and talk about kicking someone when they're down, he curses David. And Hillel, you asked about this. And when we learned on Yom Kippur, you read on Yom Kippur, I never got to answer the question that you're supposed to forgive people and so forth. He asked me why King David, before he died, he told his son, King Solomon, to uh, take care of Shimi ben Gera for cursing him. But in the moment, in the moment, one of, one of David's people said, hey, let me go and kill Shimi. What a chutzpah. He's cursing the king. Cursing the king while he's down. And David tells him, relax. Don't do anything. Hashem amar loy kalel. God told Shimi to curse me. Says the Alter Rebbe, Where did God tell Shimi to curse King David? Ella rather, This thought that fell into Shimi's heart and into his mind descended from God. God planted that thought in his mind. And the breath of his mouth, which animates all the hosts of heaven, was giving, animating the spirit of Shimi when he spoke these words to King David. If God's spirit, if God's energy would have been removed from, from Shimi for even one moment, he wouldn't be able to speak. God is giving him the ability to speak. That's what he means. God is telling him, curse, curse David. See, the Alter Rebbe is, 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 uh, is interpreting it and saying that it's God's speech that brings everything into existence. So God is bringing him to, into existence and allowing him to curse me. So that means it's coming from God. Ultimately, it's coming from God. And who shall say to him, why did you do so? And as is known what the Baal Shem Tov taught on the verse from the Psalms, forever, O God, your word is standing firm in the heavens. What does that mean? According to the Baal Shem Tov, that means, citing the Midrash, that God's word that, he, that we read in Genesis let there be light. Let there be a, a heavens. Let there be an earth. Let there be water, etc. All these words, the Hebrew words that say, let there be heaven, those words are the containers of divine energy that keep the world in existence at all times. And if those words, if that energy were to be removed, if God were to stop speaking the world into existence, it would disappear. Very modern technological example for this would be if you have a screen, a projector projecting on a screen, if you shut it off, the whole movie's gone. Whatever you had on the wall is gone. Or even better, if you pull the plug out of the, uh, out of the refrigerator, that's it. There goes the energy. It's not as good of a metaphor because the fridge stays. Right? That's like the body and the soul. The better is the projector. When you shut it, when you block the light, the light is gone. Similarly, if God stops speaking the world into existence, it's gone. It has to be constantly brought into existence. You should say, 
the combination of the letters with which the heavens were created, the Hebrew letters of let there be a firmament, let there be a heaven, they are standing and are in the heavens forever to keep them alive and to keep them in existence. Not like the philosophers, philosophers, who deny the concept of divine providence of the Creator over each and every one of His creations. And they think, in their false analogy, they compare, as the Alter Rebbe says, this, by the way, is in, in the section called Shariyich of where he goes through a few chapters on this, where he says that they compare, they say, one second, I have a dining room table in my dining room. The guy made it probably in China. He made it. Now it's sitting here. I have a nice deli sandwich on it. He's not continuing to create the table. He may have died already. Who knows how old the guy was who made this table. It's an antique. So why would you say that God is constantly creating the world? He created it many, many years ago, depending who you ask. And uh, that's it. Now it's, now it's existing without him. So the Alter Rebbe says that is a false analogy. But the philosophers, they make this false analogy and they compare the maker of heaven and earth to the creations of man and his devices. What's the difference? Says the Alter Rebbe, When a metalsmith has completed a vessel, for example, it no longer needs the hands of the smith. Even though his hands are removed from the utensil that he created, the vessel remains intact. Their eyes are bedaubed. I'm assuming that means uh, covered. The great difference between human creation, quote unquote, you have to put the creation in quotes. Why? They are just making something out of something else. They didn't really create anything new. Ex nihilo, something from nothing. They are just changing the form and the appearance of this thing. And that's why when the craftsman makes the cup or the, or the, or the bowl, he doesn't have to continue exist, creating it because he didn't really create anything from it from, to begin with. He just changed the piece of metal into a different form. But you can't compare that to the creation of heaven and earth, which is something out of nothing. God, the famous joke of the scientists, they wanted to have a contest with God who can create something. And the sci- God says to the scientists, you go first. And the scientists pick up a handful of earth from the ground. And God says to them, no, 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 no. You got to get your own dirt. Why don't you start with your own dirt? You can't take my dirt. So anything the scientists and, and the inventors are going to create, they're going to have to take something that is already existent in the world. Whereas the creation of heaven and earth is something from nothing. And here the Alter Rebbe compares it to the, cro- to the, to the splitting of the sea. The creation of, of, of the world, the universe, from nothing, is a greater wonder 
than the splitting of the sea. What happened with the splitting of the sea? God sends this very strong eastern wind the whole night, and the waters part. And if, what would happen if this wind would stop for a moment, then the waters would go back to their normal state, which is to rush and, and, and run, as is their nature. And they would not stand like a wall, as is described in the Torah. They stood up like a wall, so the Jews could walk through. Al-Tarebbe adds that the nature of water to flow is itself something that is being recreated constantly out of nothingness. Because a, a wall of stone stands without a wind keeping it up. But it's the nature of water that it doesn't stand. It flows. So certainly the creation of something from nothing, which is above nature, right? People say, well, why does it happen? Because of nature. Nature itself is the greatest miracle. It's not normal for something that doesn't exist to be in existence. And it's even a greater wonder than the splitting of the sea. Allah has come certainly. So if it's the true, if it's true that if the wind were to stop, then the sea would cease from being split. It automatically would start rushing again. So certainly, if God's energy, which is bringing the world into existence, were to part from the world, from the creation, Yoshuv Hanivra La'ayin Va'efes Mamish, then the created being would return to absolute nothingness. Not like he would be downgraded, dialed back, no, it would not exist at all. There's no, there is no foundation for, for creation's existence aside from the fact that God brings it into being. So if God ceases to bring it into being, it disappears. It's gone. So even once it's brought into being, it still has no foundation to exist. It's like, you know, you're, uh, you're, um, you throw a, a rock into the air, right? It's not going to just keep floating. Or, or, or going only as long as the power that you invested in it is in it will it will it keep going once the power is gone it's going to start coming back down you got to keep throwing it back up into the air similarly why but why because it's the nature of gravity that it comes down so what's the nature of nothingness the nature of nothingness is to be nothing and so the fact that god brought it into being is not going to stay in being because that's not its nature Rather, it's going to turn back into nothingness. It has to be constantly pushed to remain into exist to remain in existence. You gotta keep it plugged in constantly, or else it disappears. Right? It's like the, the bouncy house. I don't know how old your kids are. You might remember, or maybe your kids are not old enough yet. But you, for the birthday, you have to get a bouncy house. And the bouncy house stays full because you've got this little thing that you plug in and it, it's like it blows air into it. But as soon as you take out the plug, the whole thing comes down. With the world, it's even more. It's not just that it deflates, it, it disappears. And this thing is the word of God and the spirit of his mouth. It is in the ten 
utterances with which God created the world. Even this physical world. And the inanimate, meaning the mineral, inorganic, better than atom, inorganic component of the world, stones, sand, salt, minerals, which seem to have no life in them, unlike vegetation or animals or humans, so it's the lowest of the four kingdoms, in terms of revealed liveliness, their life, their existence, is the word of God from the ten utterances that is enclosed in them and keeps them in existence something from nothing. A fancy word for it is ex nihilo. Only Chabadniks know what ex nihilo is. So that they not revert to the absolute naught and nothingness that they had been prior to their creation. Okay, I'm going to go one more paragraph and then we're going to stop. The Alter Rebbe is a master of a very long sentences. So I think we're in one long sentence from the beginning. This is what Darizal says. Darizal being the great master of Kabbalah, of Safed from the 1500s. Even in the inorganic matter, like stones or dirt or water, that it contains a kind of soul and spiritual life force that brings it in to existence. Okay, we're going to pause here and open it up to questions and or comments. There's a good question. What happened on Shabbat? Shabbat Shalom. What happened on Shabbat? Did God, well, God, God ceased creating? Yeah, so uh, he's, 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 I'm assuming he's, he's speaking and it's sort of like unplugging. It's a great question. So the simple explanation is that what the Torah is saying that on the seventh day God rested, he's resting from creating new things, right? Everything that existed, exists. God doesn't create anything new after the six days of creation. Right, but you're right. Definitely, we have to say that God is continuing to bring the world into existence on Shabbat. This was actually a question that the um, one of the Romans asked Rabbi Akiva. So does God keep the Torah? He says on Shabbos you can't uh, you can't uh, pl- you can't you can't water you can't can't water the grass or your fields, but yet God is bringing down the rain and so forth. So this is a good question. Um, I don't have an answer that I can answer quickly for that. It's a longer discussion, deep uh, in concepts in, in Hasidus, of how that's possible, where God is creating the world and at the same time keeping Shabbat. Well, maybe it's connected to what we talked last time, where it says after the Mubul, yeah, the day and night will continue right, and never cease. So, so maybe the inertia is from that verse. Essentially, keeping it in existence. But yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good question. I I have to uh, think about it. How to explain it? And but I think the simple explanation is that God, when we say God rested, create rested from from creating new things. Mm-hmm. That's the simple explanation. How it's how it's oh. in consonance with keeping Shabbat, is a deep question. I see we have a question on the chat. 
which says, what about righteous indignation? Ah, that's a great question. And the Alter Rebbe is going to talk about it. The Alter Rebbe will get to righteous indignation. And just so you're not uh, in suspense and you'll be able to fall asleep tonight, he says that righteous indignation is kosher. Righteous indignation is kosher. If you're really indignant over the fact a person... Um, in other words, if your anger is not about what happened to you, that your jacket got dirty from this guy, right? That's not righteous indignation. That's ego indignation. But if you're, you're truly angry um, over the fact that God's will has been transgressed and it doesn't have anything to do with your ego, sometimes people have indignation or indigestion from all kinds of things, and then they seize upon something righteous to express it and feel good about themselves at the same time. So that's a very tricky thing. Righteous indignation is a very tricky thing. But it said, yes, we have that Moshe gets angry. And that's considered a righteous indignation. Um, the righteous do get angry. But we'll, we'll learn more about that later in the chapter. How about if you somebody, Hashem creates something from nothing. But you say that uh, he uses his, like, you know, uh, uh, force, energy, force, Hashem energy. Isn't it something? Hashem's energy or something, consider something too. Without that, it's not going to happen, you know. So you still have to have something. You know, it's, for a human being, it's very hard to understand how this actually happening, you know, creation of something from nothing. But uh, is, isn't Hashem energy something too? Right. Or, you know, Interesting. You know, yeah. So Maybe yet, it's like concentration of Hashem energy what, what makes things, you know, yes. exist. So that's a very good point. So yesh ma'ayin, something from nothing. So there's it's something... A, huh? What do you say, it's Matt? A, the, the various levels of Zimzum. Right, it's so Zimzum... Right, Zimzum is, is God uh, contracting himself, and not contracting himself, but, but concealing himself so that can, existence can exist. But I think the answer to what you're saying, Hillel, is there's something called yeshma'ayin, which means something from nothing, and then there's something called ila ve'alul. Ila ve'alul means the cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is that the, the physical reality comes from some spiritual reality that's also yes. creation of God. And that is true. There is a Seder Shtasus. But yeshma'ayin means a quantum jump. Right, so there, there's things that are links in the chain. The chain could be a billion um, hooks long, but it's still the last link is connected to the first link. That's ila valul. Yeshma'ayin means there's a jump. There's a there's a there's a there's a chasm that has to be it has to be uh, leaped over. So human beings are capable of ila valul. And yes. There is a there is a there is a point of creation where it is ilava alul, but at some point there is a jump uh, to physical reality. That is a that is a jump. That is there's no there's no nothing behind it. There's mm -hmm. no chain of of um, there's no chain of progression behind it. It's it is a jump. That is a uniquely divine capacity to cre to create that reality and that's what's called yesh me'ayin it's interesting that in some places it says what do you mean yesh me'ayin god is the true yesh the world is the ayin 
Right? Yesh means something. Ayin means nothing. So what's the real yesh and what's the real ayin? From our perspective, we are yesh and we come from ayin. We are something and we come from something. Ayin meaning something that is beyond us, something that we can't comprehend, something that we can't see, something that we can't touch. But in reality, it's not yesh ma'ayin. It's, it's ayin from yesh. We're the ayin because, as the, as the Rambam puts it, the type of existence that we have is not real existence. It's dependent existence. It's a contingent existence. It's contingent on being constantly brought into, in, into existence. We don't have independent existence. God is the true existence because it's not contingent upon anything. In the, in the philosophical, Hebrew philosophical uh, writers, they will call it Michuyav HaMetziut. Michuyav HaMetziut means something that must exist. It exists because it truly exists and everything else is happens to exist. It doesn't have to exist. It could exist, could not exist. That's our reason. That's when the Rambam actually puts it. That what we say, Ein od milvado, that there is nothing else besides God. And you look around and say, one second, I'm looking at a computer screen, I'm looking at all these people. I'm looking out the window, I see a nice rose garden. Yes, but all those things are contingent existences. They're being brought into existence. It's not their natural condition. Ein od milvado means there is no existence that is independent existence that is truly existence. So MS, right? He calls it emet lamitato. True existence is only the domain of God. And so to sum up what we learned today, Alter Rebbe started off talking about how if somebody gets angry, it's as if he worships idols. And so he bases that, he explains it according to Hasidic thought, that if we're getting angry, that means we're saying that God wasn't involved in this situation. And so he went into a long discourse of if God was not involved, this situation couldn't exist. Couldn't have happened. There's no dark side that is powering these types of situations. Everything ultimately is bringing into existence from God. And so if something happens to me, it's definitely God's will. And even if it happened to me by a human being who has freedom of choice, and that person is did do something evil, we're not going to let him off the hook. He's going to be punished in the human court. He'll be punished by the divine court. But he's only being punished for his bad choice of choosing to be the divine agent to, to cause this thing to happen. But if he hadn't chosen to do it, if he decided against it, it would have happened some other way. And so if I get angry, in that moment I'm saying, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that God is involved right now. So that's like serving an idol. Because what's happening I serve an idol? I'm saying there's some power, there's some existence outside of God. That's what happens. If I get angry. But Hill, I want to answer your question from Yom Kippur that I never answered. Why did King David tell his son Solomon before he died, hey, I want you to take care of that shimmy character. Don't let him get away with it. We just had a whole discourse where he said, God told him to curse me. Don't, don't bother. Don't worry about it. So why at the end of his life he tells uh, Shlomo to take him out? Can, can I uh, venture a guess here? Absolutely. Especially since I don't know the answer. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I don't know, but I think that it wasn't um, that he uh, had a revenge motive, but he, he was giving him solid advice so that Solomon himself wouldn't uh, face the same situation. 
extra koch. I like it. Anybody else want to suggest something? Or does Eric's answer just settle it? No pun intended. But the research department can should still look into it. I'm thinking that, you know, if in the moment King David had said, yeah, go ahead and kill him, or a day later, a year later, you know, when he was off the run, it would have been a kind of a vengeance. But in this situation, I think along the terms of what Eric is saying, it wasn't about revenge because he could have taken revenge at any point. It was many years later that he tells him to kill him. It was along with what Eric is saying. This is a, a, um, you know, a situation that he felt had to be dealt with. And you actually see, perhaps I don't know if I've read this somewhere or, or, or if it's true. That King David is actually showing, I'm not doing this because of anything personal. It's nothing personal, but we have to kill you. <laughs> right? <laughs> because if it's personal, then he would kill him right away. He has the power. King David killed a lot of people. I hate to say it. He killed a lot of people. He wasn't afraid to kill people. But it actually shows that it wasn't about revenge. The fact that he didn't do anything until... Until the end, he tells King Solomon, I think Eric is on the, on the right track there, that either for, the, for Solomon's benefit, that this guy is dangerous, he's a, he's a danger to the kingship, or that he deserved to be killed. But King David but, didn't want to do it. Because he, I, I read somewhere that, I mean, if I remember correctly, that David said that, you know, I made uh, basically a wow, or, or I said, I'm not going to do anything to you, but you didn't. Say that you didn't take any wealth. He killed Solomon. Ah. I, that's why he said, I promise not to take care of him, basically, not to kill him, but you didn't. Right, right. <laughs> so okay. you're free of this, you're, you have a free choice to do it, you know, basically. I cannot do it. I promise that not to do it. Interesting. That's interesting. Uh, I want to say something else with you. It's a difficult, yeah. tough question, I understand. To prove one thing, what you were saying, you know, about that somebody else will do the free choice, let's say, even. Uh, in a foreign story, when Mordechai says uh, to Esther, you know, go and, you know, ask him to, you know, to spare Jewish people. If you're not going to do it, somebody else will do it, you know, the, the, the God wants to do it, basically. That's what he's telling him, you know, so just... Yeah. Excellent point, Hillel. So it works on the positive side too. Yeah. You you have to do the right thing. But God has His ways, and you do the right thing, you you get the merit of, of being the one who did it. Yeah. Thank you, thank you Well, thank well, you, wait. ladies and gentlemen. Nerio, Bakasha. Quick question. Uh, we so we read the Dvarim just from that, uh, and then we start right away reading from Breshit again. So the end, so continuation. So, and we read basically until Jewish people came to the border of Israel, and then the command was forwarded to Yeshua. And then, why we not continue reading what happened inside of Israel, the story or history? Because it was a why mess. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I think the answer is that 
what happens in the five I mean there's a lot of things that happen to the Jewish people that is not even recorded in the Torah or in the prophets the reason that things are recorded is because these are lessons for us in our life and when we see with the five books of Moses and we keep reading it again and again we even have this concept that from the Alter Rebbe who we just learned is a pistol that midarf lebin mitzait you have to live with the times. What does that mean? You have to live with the Parsha of the week. That's why we started off this class as a Parsha class. Every day you have to study the Parsha of the week, the daily portion. Why? Because this is what's happening right now. You need the lessons of this Parsha for this week. And this is why we read the five books of Moses again. Whereas the prophets, the stories of the prophets, of course, contain lessons that we need in our lives. Otherwise, they wouldn't be written down in the Torah and we have to study them. But we don't have the same obligation to read it again and again because it's not as central as the stories of the five books of Moses. The stories of the five books of Moses and the teaching of the five books of Moses, this is the, uh, the essence of the Torah and something that we need to be constantly reviewing year after year Again and again, this is like our life blood. This is the meat and potatoes of the divine wisdom that we need to keep in our bloodstream and keep in our, our ecosystem and in our minds. Whereas the the prophets, we don't, they're not the same as, uh, of course, they contain lessons that we derive from, but they're not the same as, as, as central and essential to our daily lives as the five books of Moses. If that makes thank sense. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Interestingly, it says that the five books of the Tehillim, of the Psalms, are parallel the five books of Moses. And the, with the Psalms, we do see that we study, that we read the Psalms every day, either in in prayers, Psuki de Zimra, or in the Chabad custom, we finish it every 30 days. So the Psalms also has a very essential connection to our daily, regular, regular life as opposed to other parts of the prophets or writings. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another wonderful get-together. I'm so glad you were here to study the beautiful teachings of the Alter Rebbe. We'll see you again Tuesday night. Tomorrow night we have a minion. I hope you can make it 7 p.m. Marcos's father's yard site at the LCC, 7 p.m. for Myrev. It's going to be amazing, like everything else. All right, Laila Tov. Thank you. Thank you.